Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina. I sound excited. Did you hear the excitement in my voice? We hadn't been on the air for about a week or so, so I'm excited to be back here on this Thursday evening so you can hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler from the state of North Carolina with my co-host, Tim Bench from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of of Florida. We are just grateful that you are tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We would ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call at Steve B's Me Production Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to to present a portion 
of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be my co-host on the show this evening, Glenn McMillian and Clay Phillips, as they break unto us the bread of life. And also my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you would bless them and their families that support their efforts to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners this evening who are tuning in to this broadcast by uh, Blog Talk Radio, as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the sins we've committed in our minds and our bodies. For we know our flesh is weak and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us in love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you would save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening. Now, in the first segment, we're going to do something a little different on this evening's broadcast. We're going to do our shout-out question first due to uh, the time restraints we have for one of my co-hosts. So we're going to go ahead and do that segment first. And in the second segment, my co-host, Glenn McMillian, he serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. If you're making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And my, I forgot to mention that my co-host in the first segment, uh, Brian Christian Coleman, he'll be answering our question. He serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. And to close out the show, my co-host Clay Phillips, he serves with the, uh, he's the evangelist there for the Rose City Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, we will have our shouted out question with Brian Christian Coleman. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
the work of love's on the line. Come on and spend the line. Let us gather just for a crown of dust in the line. Come on and spend the line. Send the light. Oh, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from dark shore. listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform that I will be posing to my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. And I'm trying to stall here just a little bit so I can get this question. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right. Brian Christian Colbert, how you doing, my brother? I am fine, my brother. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing just fine. Now, Brian, what I'm going to do, I have a scriptural reference here for Hebrews 9 and verse 15, but I already know that when you answer the question that you're going to reference this text. So I'm not going to read the uh, scripture uh, reference like I normally do to answer this question. I'll just let you go ahead and read the scripture first and then just answer the question, okay? Not a problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the question we have is from an anonymous query. It's from the country of Africa. It's from Nigeria, Africa. And here's the question. The scripture reference that's used to this question is Hebrews 9 verse 15. Well, here's the question. How can we know in this life if we are among those whom the Lord calls for our eternal inheritance? What say you to this question, Brian? Well, it's a very important question that is being asked, and it's great when we have a platform like this to answer these questions. And one thing we should never be afraid, my brother, and also those who are tuning in with us this evening, we are of the Bible church. We should not be scared of answering any type of question because we have the Bible. We have the Bible, and that's all we need to answer any of these questions. So when we're out in the world and people ask us some outlandish questions, we've got God's word to back us up. 
And you know what? We don't need no creeds. We don't need any manuals. We don't need any textbooks. We don't need anything but God's word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, in which this question is being asked. Hebrews chapter 9, and beginning with verse 15, and the Bible says, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Who are they talking about? He is the mediator of the New Testament. We're talking about Jesus Christ, that by means of death, meaning when he died on the cross, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, meaning those who have been saved, those who Christ has saved, they have that opportunity for eternal life. And that's talking about us, brothers and sisters. That's mentioning us in a nutshell. But we must understand something. If we just can't go to heaven any way we want to, hello, we just cannot just say, well, I'm going to live the life that I'm living right now, and God knows my heart. God knows I'm a good person. God knows I'm a decent individual. I do what I can to help other people. And I know that God will be just because he is a just God. This is what man says now. And I know that he's going to look about what I've done. I know I've done some bad. I've done some good, too. And I know he's just going to save me. Well, I stopped by to tell you, brothers and sisters, we just can't go by being good or being a just person, because the thing is, we are all in sin. Hello. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if you stay in sin, if you keep on going about in sin, once you've reached that age of accountability, meaning you know right from wrong, that you know and understand what you may are doing, what you are not only doing, but let me just drop this bomb while I'm flying over as I'm getting to answer this question, Brother Butler. What you are thinking, what you are believing, all deals with sin. Because all of us, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned. Not y'all have sinned, but all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, meaning man is a sinful individual. Man has been sinning since the beginning. The first sin recorded is the fir- deals with the first murder when Cain slew his brother Abel. So sin has been around for so long. And men think that they just can do whatever they can, whatever they feel they need to do in order to get rid of their sin. But I stopped by to tell you, it doesn't work that way because Jesus died on the cross For all mankind, he gave his life that all may have a right to eternal life one day. But he also gave us some instruction on how man can get rid of his sin. We have to understand that we need to do something. We just can't think that just being a good person makes us a a good person. If that was the case, then all of us could just do it that way. But Christ did not just die that way he died for the the matter of the fact of sin being in the world we can't individually just make up our own way of going to heaven we can't just be who we think we are and think that we are a child of god because if you are a child of god you must be god's child 
Now, he may ask, how can, I, can you say that you are God's child and you are not a Christian? How can you say in, in prayer, our Father, which is in heaven, and you are not his child? You can only become, you can't just become a Christian by any way that man says. You can't put your hand on the radio and become a child of God. You just can't be a good person and be a child of God. You just can't call on the name of the Lord and be a good person. And I know, I know, I know you can't follow the doctrines and commandments of man and call yourself a child of God. What must I do, Brother Preacher, in order for me to become a child of God? Well, the first thing that you've got to hear, you do, you've got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The Bible teaches in Romans 3, uh, 3.16, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. After you've heard the, God, the, word, the gospel, you have to believe it. John 8.24, the Bible says, he if you believe on him, you must, excuse me, you must first believe on him. Then you've got to repent. Repent means make a change in your life. You've got to repent of your sins. Luke 13, 3 and 5 says, except you believe I'm he, you all likewise perish. Then you must confess with your mouth the sweetest words that you will ever say. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. That's found in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 36 and 37. When a eunuch was, was asked, do you believe? And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Matthew 10, 32 also teaches us you must confess him. You've got to confess him because the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. So the question on the floor is, you've got an opportunity to confess him now, because if you don't confess him now, you're going to confess him later. And if you want to wait to confess him later, it's going to be too late. Because that's going to be on the day of judgment. Because those who didn't confess him now are going to confess him then. Because the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But when you confess him later, you're on your way to hell. So I recommend that you confess him now. And then after that, you have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Where you go down in the liquid tomb of baptism, where in baptism washes away your sins, Acts 22 and verse number 16, wherein after that also baptism causes you to become a child of God. Then you also become a, you become a Christian, and also you are added to the church of Christ, Acts 2 and 47. You don't join the church of Christ. You are added to the church of Christ. You don't have to come down front and do anything but just those simple things, that you may become a Christian. And let me just drop this other bomb while I'm flying over it. You don't become a Baptist Christian. You don't become a Catholic Christian. You don't become a Methodist Christian. Because the Bible does not make a Methodist Christian, a Baptist Christian, or, a, or any other kind of Christian. It just makes Christians. If you have, let me just in closing, give you two more scriptures to back up what I'm saying. In closing. James chapter 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. 
Each and every day we face and fight temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to him that love him. That means we're going to go through some stuff here on planet Earth. You just don't become a Christian and think that you ain't got to worry about dealing with anything, that every, every day is going to be like Sunday. We all got to face some trials and tribulations in our life. We all got to face some issues in our life because the thing is the devil, once you leave and become a child of God, he's always going to try to get you back. And the way he gets you back, He's going to go after, go after you by the things that you like. He's not going to mess with you on things that you don't like. He's going to mess with you on things that he knows that you love. If it's, It can be your job. It could be money. It could be that good-looking woman, that good-looking guy. Whatever it takes, he's going to do it to get back at you. Because the Bible teaches us in First Peter that the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Also, the Bible teaches us in Revelations chapter 2 and verse number 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. That means whatever you're dealing with, you're going to go through some suffering, but don't worry about it and don't fear it. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But thou faithful, be, be thou faithful unto death. That means once you become a Christian, You've got to stay faithful in the church. You've got to keep. You got to do some work in order to make heaven your home one day, and be faithful unto death. And the Bible says, "I will give thee a crown of life," and that is spoken by Jesus. And once you give your life over to Jesus and you stay faithful unto death, one day He's going to remember what you've done. One day, when you stand before Him on judgment, you will hear Him say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." And he's going to call you to home. He's going to give you a crown of life that faded, not in a way. And we need to remember in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3 that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. So if you want to make heaven your home one day and have an eternal inheritance of him, you've got to be a member of the Church of Christ. You've got to give your life over to him. You've got to be baptized as the scripture teaches you. And what I've given you tonight is scriptural understanding that you've got to be a child of God. You've got to be baptized into the church. I pray this question has been beneficial and has been helpful to that person who have asked it. If there's any additional follow-up that is needed for this question, feel free to let Brother Butler know, and I'll be happy to come back and give you more scripture. Not lip. I'm going to give you scripture. I'd rather give you scripture than anything else because scripture is what's going to make heaven our home one day. May God bless you. May God keep you. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know, I know, you know, whoa, 
what is gonna happen here And I know Yes, I know you know Oh, you know And I know you know Oh, would you like me to say clear No more tickle in your ears Would you like me to share my mind This is what you'll find God is big and I'm so small My life's not worth much at all Jesus made my soul brand new And if you wish he'll do the same for you Do you know, do you care Do you know what's waiting there Oh, do you see, can you feel Don't you know his love is real And I know
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific need. It's an exciting time for your congregation. And what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. Don't know what it is you're going through 
But I know the God we serve, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I know him well enough to know that you can trust the man, his word. Gotta keep waiting for the silver lining. Whoa, I remember a time in my life one day. Uh, I was down on my knees, I was crying and praying. Uh, then he reached way down, took his big old hands, and wiped all my tears away. Keep the faith There's gonna be There's gonna be A brighter day what I found out, child Even if you don't see the S-U-N Yeah You can always see the S-O-N Yeah Said you gotta trust And you gotta believe Jesus He's coming again, yeah You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host Glenn McMillian and his subject, Total Depravity. Good evening, and uh, welcome to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Uh, Last time I was here, I told you I was going to begin a series on uh, Calvinism, and tonight is the the first opportunity that I'm getting to do that. Uh, Tonight we are going to talk about uh, the first uh, petal in the tulip of Calvinism, and that is T which stands for total depravity. Um, Instead of me explaining what it is, let me start by allowing them to explain it in their own words. This comes from uh, Edwin Palmer in his book, The Five Points of Calvinism. Quote, We believe that through the disobedience of Adam, original sin is extended to all mankind, which is a corruption of the whole nature and a hereditary disease wherewith even infants in their mother's womb are infected, and which produces in man all sorts of sin, being in him as a root thereof, and therefore is so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. As you hear, uh, total depravity from the mouth of the Calvinist scholars is the fact that we are born sinful, that we have inherited uh, from Adam as a literal sexually transmitted disease the uh, state of being in sin. Again, in Calvinism, sin is not something you do. It is something you have contracted uh, based on your being human. And therefore, the only way of dealing with it 
is to be pulled out of it by miraculous power of God. So when you understand the doctrine of total depravity from the Calvinist perspective, then we have to get into, number one, what is the problem that this causes? And then number two, what does the Bible actually say about this subject? So let's start with the problem. So why is total depravity, why is that a, an issue? And why would we take offense to it? Again, we're looking at this in the context not just of what does the Bible say and why, why is it biblically wrong, but it has implications far beyond. We, I, I did a previous series, again, uh, talking about why so many people are leaving the churches, why we're having such a hard time uh, getting the gospel message across to people, and, and they are not not just joining our church. They're not joining any church. They're, they're leaving Christianity altogether, and part of it is that this doctrine of total depravity is uh, a widespread doctrine throughout uh, Christian denominations. It, it, it is not just uh, denominations that are have direct roots to Calvin, like the Presbyterians or the Lutheran Church that teach this. It is even the Catholic Church and pretty much all your, your standard denominations that you can think of, uh, with very few exceptions, uh, teach some form of original sin or uh, uh, total depravity. They might not go as far as the Calvinists would go. Uh, Calvin is famously quoted as saying that there are babies a span long in hell, and, and a, a span is uh, the length of your hand. So if you open your hand and you measure from the pinky to the thumb, that's a span. So he's saying that there are, 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 are babies in hell because they were born with sin and they, they were born and they died at, uh, at their very early age, they are in hell. Um, that in and of itself is an, an offensive doctrine to, uh, a lot, to most people. <laughs> it, it, the, the idea that God would send a, a baby to hell um, offends most people's sensibilities, and that's why uh, most denominations, even if they teach original sin, will back off of going that far with it. But logically speaking, um, the doctrine of original sin doesn't make sense if that reality isn't true. Again, Calvinism is a logical system more than it is a theological system. It is rooted in these five pillars that we're going to go through, supporting one another, being all founded in the foundation of God's sovereignty. And so if God is sovereign, that means all decision-making around salvation belongs to him. Therefore, we cannot make any decision to do anything good, and therefore, by default, we are on our way to hell before we even get started. Now, the doctrine, doctrinal statement that I just read uh, blames this on the sin of Adam. 
but we'll see as we go forward that that doesn't quite make sense because uh, as as we get to uh, next the next time I show up, we'll, we'll be talking about unconditional election. And when they get into unconditional election, they will say that before the foundation of the world, it was already decided who was going to heaven and who was going to hell. So if going to hell is a result of Adam's sin, then how could that number have already been decided before the foundation of the world since that, was, that happened before Adam ever sinned? So that's the first problem that we have with total depravity, doctrinally speaking, is that the timing doesn't work. In order for there to be uh, inherited sin and, and that work within the framework of Calvinism, that had to have happened and had to have been decided before Adam ever sinned. And then, therefore, if it happened before Adam ever sinned, is Adam really at fault? Because, therefore, if it happened, if it was decided before Adam's sin, then that means that Adam's sin was an inevitability. It's something that he couldn't avoid it if he wanted to. Uh, and therefore, is he really responsible for for what happened? Who then? Then who really is responsible for our sin, sinful condition? And, of course, the answer to that is, as Calvinism says, God is sovereign. So ultimately, God is the one who's responsible. So, again, for any right-thinking Christian person who has an understanding of the nature of God and, and, and God being loving, God being goodness, the fact that God is ultimately responsible for sin those two ideas don't work together. And so when you present that as Calvinism as fact, that God is responsible for sin, and as a young person growing up in the church and you hear this, you see all the evil in the world, and then you're taught that God is sovereign, then therefore God is responsible for all this stuff, then what conclusion can you draw other than therefore God must be evil? And why would I serve an evil God. The, the, the answer, the question answers itself. <laughs> so, so we definitely need to, as Christians, be equipped to, to deal with, to understand where people are coming from uh, when they are challenged by total depravity, uh, original sin, and be able to answer uh, that question be able to turn them back to a correct understanding of how God works. Uh, so there are a variety of verses that Calvinists use to justify this doctrine, to, to, uh, to promote it. Um, we don't have time tonight to get through all of them, so I'm going to just deal with the, the most important text uh, that they use that's Romans chapter 5. And we will go there, we'll examine Romans chapter 5, we'll try to uh, do a pretty good job of dealing with the issues that are presented there, and um, hopefully that will give us a framework for uh, dealing with the rest of the issues uh, that come up. So let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's start 
um, there, uh, and we will we'll, we'll work through what it says and uh, how to kind of deal with it, and then you know maybe if we have a little bit of time, we we'll be able to touch on uh, some other tangential issues that come out of this. So Romans chapter five, I'm, I'm going to read from the King James version because that's the version that most uh, Calvinists would use, and it's it's very uh, universally uh, <laughs> accepted. So so since we don't we don't want to run into any problems with translations, there there's a few words in this text that I think and and I, other people have made arguments about that are that are a little bit. Uh, misleading in how they're translated. But I, we don't really even need to get into that tonight. We won't get into that tonight uh, because the, there, there's enough here that we can deal with that we don't have to get into uh, Greek textual studies, which I am, am not the most qualified person to deal with. And, I, and, and honestly, the person that brings up that argument is not the most qualified to deal with either. So uh, let's just deal with what is here. Romans chapter 5, let's start in verse uh, let's start in verse 14, which is, is where the, this discussion really begins. So it says, nevertheless, uh, sorry, start, let's start at uh, verse 12. Uh, yeah. So wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed on upon all men, for all have sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned at the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one man, the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, have abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all, all men to condemnation. Even so, by, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law answers that the offense might abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin reigned unto death, even so grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So, if you read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and following, in isolation, you ignore what happens before and what happens after. It sounds like he's making a case for original sin, that, that one man, by one man, 
Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed on to all men, for all have sinned. So is that really what Paul is saying? That by, because Adam sinned, therefore everyone sinned in Adam. Because, and that, that's where they're going to go, is that there, there's, uh, which verse is this, where it says in Adam, that, that is taken to mean that because we are all descendants of Adam and Adam sinned, we have all inherited this, this sin. And that because of his, his transgression, therefore all of us are under condemnation, as it says in uh, verse 18. So right off the bat, we have a problem. Because, again, we, we're saying that this works if you take chapter 5 in isolation, but that is not consistent throughout the entire book. If, you look, if we go back to chapter 2, we have a different – because in chapter 2, I have to bring in another verse here. So another verse that, uh, that uh, Calvinists like to talk about in, in, in relationship to – uh, being born in sin is Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that, you know, we were by nature children of wrath. And then they say that that means that we have a sinful nature, that, that, that our nature, our very essence is tied to being children of wrath. But that's not what chapter 2 says, because chapter 2 tells us that uh, uh, if you go to verse number 14, says that for when the Gentiles who don't, do not have the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these not having the law are law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their hearts and their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. So number one, the nature, which is said to be sinful, Paul is saying that some people don't have a sinful nature. <laughs> some people by nature do the right thing. And those people will be justified. Now, Calvin's going to talk about, you know, those are the people who are elect. But Paul doesn't talk about elect and unelect here. Here, here he's talking about Jews versus Gentiles. So then the question is, does total depravity only apply to Jews or, apply to, or does, it only, does it not apply to Gentiles? But in Ephesians, the book of the Ephesians is written to a Gentile church. So now we have a, a, a confusion within Paul about who actually has a sinful nature because in Ephesians he's saying that the Gentiles have a sinful nature, but in Romans chapter 2 he's saying that the Gentiles don't have a sinful nature. So which is it? Or does this whole conversation about a sinful nature not make sense at all in, the, in, what, in what Paul is trying to say? Paul is giving us a completely different framework. And so when we try to fit this sinful nature framework into the writings of Paul, we get these contradictions because that's not what Paul is talking about. <laughs> so if we go up a little bit, uh, you know, to verse 10, it says that 
or verse 9, it says, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul that doing evil, or the Jew first and also the Gentile. Uh, verse 8 says, Consciousness and to the truth, righteousness and indignation of wrath. Glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, in, in verse 10. For there is no respecter of persons, or respect of persons with God. So this whole thing, again, we're get, we'll be getting into elections next week, but or next time I, or next month, or when, next time I get a chance to to meet with you. Um, but he, but Paul's saying that there is no no respecter of persons. God doesn't pick and choose winners and losers. Uh, we are going to be rewarded according to our works, according to what we decide to do. Again, that flies fully in the face of the, the, the concept of uh, sovereignty in the way that Calvinists define it because we shouldn't have the ability to, to work or to do good or do not do good. That is something that has to be imputed from an outside source. But even if we go back into the Old Testament, we see that there is a, a pattern here that is being, being uh put out. Ezekiel chapter 18 makes it clear that no one inherits sin from their fathers. No one, in the, the, the soul that sins shall die. The, the person who does wrong is the one that bears the punishment. Now that doesn't mean that there's not any consequences uh, for sinful living that spill over. Uh, if I if, you know, am a drunkard and a, and a, and a gambler and I, I spend all my money, all my money uh, yeah, my children are going to suffer from from the lack that causes, but that's not a condemnation of sin. That is just a mathematical reality. If there's no money to give, there's no money to receive. Um, and therefore, suffering happens for that lack. But that suffering is not an indication of condemnation. So those are two different concepts that need to be separated um, from a spiritual perspective. So we already see that from Ezekiel chapter 18 that God says that the soul that sins shall die. die. Paul repeats that in in Romans chapter 2 that God is not a respecter of persons. The the people that do righteousness will be rewarded. The people who don't do righteousness will be punished. So how then do we get into chapter 5 and therefore we see that our condemnation doesn't have anything to do with us. It has to do with somebody who, who sinned a long time ago. Maybe, just maybe, uh, that's not what the point that he's trying to make here. So let's. So what is the point that, Paul, that Paul's trying to make here? How it exactly does this work? So therefore, as the by the offense of one, judgment came to all, upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. So here's the second problem that we had. Or you know, I guess I guess we're on third or fourth problem now. So the, the, this problem is that if we read this and we take it literally and we say. By one man's offense, death reigned by the one. That So if by this one man, this one man Adam, death came into the world and all of us were condemned, 
He says, even so, just like that, by righteousness of of the one, by Jesus' righteousness, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So if we believe in the universal condemnation, if, if all men here means that everybody is condemned, in, in chapter in the first half of chapter of verse 18 of chapter 5 then logically speaking that same all men in the second half of the verse by the the gift of Christ should apply to all people everybody we should have universal salvation if we have universal condemnation if we had universal condemnation through Adam then we should have universal salvation through Christ because it says all men in the first half of the state of the verse, and it also says all men in the second half of the verse. Verse 19, it says the same thing. Disobedience, many were made sinners. Obedience, many shall be made righteous. Again, the many and the many, the all and the all. So the problem is, this is not what Calvinists teach, <laughs> or at least very few of them teach universal salvation. So then you have to explain how the all in the first half of the sentence is bigger than the all in the second half of the sentence. How the many in the first half of the sentence is bigger than the many in the second half of the sentence. How sin has the power to condemn everyone, but Christ only has the power to save a small number. <clears throat> See, Calvinism makes sin stronger than the grace of God. <laughs> Calvinism makes death greater than, stronger than the gift of eternal life. Because one sin has the power to condemn everyone. <clears throat> but God's great sacrifice on the cross only has the power to save the elect. And as we know, the elect is a, is a small remnant of humanity. So we see the problems that this theology causes. So to conclude, let's just, what is Paul really saying here? And if we understand what Paul is really saying in chapter 5, then we can really go into the proper understanding of how God works and start to understand how to bring people back because, again, Calvinism gives us an arbitrary, evil God who decides people's fate on a whim, who does not give us any way to resolve this issue other than we were chosen or we weren't. Um, and that breeds a disinterest or a, 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 an 
a disengagement with uh, the core essence of Christianity. Uh, there's no reason to repent if I can't repent, if I can't make my own uh, decisions. Because, again, if I am not elect, I am totally deprived, and nothing – I can't even make the uh, conscious effort to, to change. Uh, if I am elect, there's no reason to try to change because God, at some point God is going to force me to change. And we will get that, to that when we get to I, that the irresistible grace. Uh, God doesn't just choose people and encourage them <laughs> to, to be better. Uh, he forces them to um, the grace of God is irresistible. Uh, so, but we'll, we will get that. We will get there uh, later. So, what is Paul really saying? Again, the beginning of chapter five, we get the uh, the, the beautiful uh, illustration of what Christ did for us. That, that when we were without strength, when we were in our sinful condition. Without hope, Christ died in order to give us hope. Christ died for the ungodly. Even when we were sinners, when we were enemies, Christ gave his life for us. Just, just that in the way that Adam opened a door. So when, when Adam sinned, he didn't cause everyone to be condemned. He opened a door, a, a, a pathway to sin. James talks about this, this pathway in James chapter 1, uh, that you know, when we are enticed by our desires, so we have desires, we have things that we want. Those desires are, are not necessarily bad, you know, but those desires open us up to temptation, that, that there is a way to attain those desires in a, in a way that is, contrary to the way that God would provide for us. That temptation, when we have opportunity, leads to sin. That leads us to fulfill our own desires in a way that is uh, not in accordance with God's will. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about, that, it, that just as Adam, just, Adam was just like us. He was tempted by the opportunity to have the insight, the wisdom that God has. And by his sin, by his giving in to those desires, sin entered into the world. That was the first sin. Uh, and that, and from, by that same pathway, the in, in the likewise, Death passed on to all men, for all have sinned. Not in that instant, because it says it, it rained for even those who had not sinned in the similitude of Adam's transgression. So we didn't do the same thing that Adam did. We did different things, but the result was the same. All of us who have lived long enough to make conscious decisions have at one point or another made a conscious decision that was opposed to what God would have us do. 
again, that completely is something that is foreign to the Calvinist way of thinking because there is nothing that is outside of the will of God in the Calvinist way of thinking. But what the Bible teaches and what, what we have to understand is that we all make decisions, and some of those decisions are not in accordance with God's word. And when we do that, that's when we sin. And so it wasn't the that Adam's sin condemned the entire human race. It was that Adam's sin provided a template by which everyone uh, in their own way falls short of God's ultimate uh, desire for us. And that's why it was necessary for Christ to to come and to give his life. And so when Christ did that, by that one man's event, righteousness, life reigned by the one. And again, we all understand this part, that that doesn't mean that everyone was then saved, but it was, again, an opening of a door. It was a, a pathway by which we can all attain salvation. Uh, my brother, uh, who did the, the question before me uh, in, in very serendipitous, serendipitous fashion, explained how this works, that there is a pathway to becoming a child of God that was created by Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins. If we believe that Christ died for our sins, if we are willing to uh, confess our sins, give up our, 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 our way of, uh, of living before and, and be baptized in obedience to the will of God, Therefore, thereby we have a pathway unto salvation. Paul is kind of shorthanding this because this is the, that the Roman, again, Romans is not written to sinners in order to teach them how to be saved. It's written to save people in order to remind them of their salvation. So he can use shorthand to talk about some of these things because they already know what he's talking about. They've already experienced it. So when he talks about the gift of God that came, the justification of all men, that's the free gift that we all received. When did we receive that? Acts 2.38 says that we, when we went down in baptism, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We received that gift. So that free gift in the minds of a person who has obeyed the gospel points them back to their baptism when he talks about the free gift. So through that pathway, through that acceptance of the plan of salvation that was put in place, which was made necessary by uh, the offense of Adam, by that one man, sin entered the world and death from sin. Even so, by one man, sin shall reign in life. Again, only if you choose, however... <laughs> to go down that path. We all have chosen to go down the path of sin at one point and another in our lives. Now it's time for us to choose to go down the path of righteousness. Uh, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, but we don't have to stay that way. By, one, by the obedience of that one man, many will be made righteous. Many of us will choose to turn away from sin and follow after the path of righteousness. Uh, 
there's more here, and there's and again, there's there's a lot of other uh, verses that deal with this, and a lot of other uh, arguments that really need to be addressed. Um, but we are out of time, or running out of time for this evening. Uh, I hope that this is enough to kind of get you started uh, down that path. Again, it is not a an inherited thing. It's not a a, a matter of you were imputed with sinfulness <laughs> before you even had the chance to uh, to do anything. And again, even even Paul addresses this in Romans chapter seven. Um, in you know, in verse nine, he says, "For I I was alive once without the law, but then when the commandment came, sin revived and I died." So the the process was there was life, then sin, then death. Calvinism has us the the complete opposite way around. You you're dead because you sin before you even had a chance to be alive. You only are alive if you are called out of death. Uh, that doesn't match what Paul says here. That doesn't match with the whole uh, theme of the book of Romans. It doesn't, it only kind of works if you take chapter 5 in isolation and don't look at, uh, at everything surrounding it. Um, so this, this is the problem when you, we, we study the books chapter by chapter and we don't look at the entire uh, context, the global context of what's being said. So that's the, the lesson is yours for this evening. I, I hope you understand that God is not an arbitrary God. God is not a respecter of persons. God is not uh, the source of all evil. God gives us the opportunity at every point to choose. And many of us will choose to to do the right thing. Many of us will choose to do the wrong thing. Uh, but it's ultimately our salvation uh, is up to us. If if I, as as the old uh, spiritual song says, if I should die and my soul be lost, it ain't nobody's fault but mine. I got a Bible. I can pray. I know what I'm supposed to do. If I don't make it, I can't blame God. I can't blame anybody else. It's 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 a that it is it's my fault for not being obedient to the gospel of Christ. And again, that's not to say that we're saved by our works. We're saved by our obedience. Does that mean our obedience has to be perfect? No. But it does mean that we have to make the effort to live our lives according to God's standard and not our own. We can't, well, I'm saved or I'm not saved or, or and throw our hands up and, and just expect things to happen for us. Um, God expects us to, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So um, we need to understand that we are not required to be perfect. We're not required to be uh, sinless. Uh, 
but we weren't born sinners. We don't have to stay sinners. We just have to do the best we can uh, to try to follow the will of God every single day. Uh, I'm not perfect. (laughs) Nobody is. But there's a difference between admitting that nobody is perfect and saying that God, therefore, is arbitrary and there's nothing we can do about our salvation because there is. We have to take our salvation in our own hands, say that we are willing to uh, to do what God has asked us to do, that we will try to do what God has asked us to do, that we will go undergo the process of sanctification to get our lives to be more like Christ, like Christ every day. Um, and and by the grace of God, we then shall be saved. Lesson is yours. Thank you for uh, for your attention. I hope this has been a blessing to you, and continue to tune in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co-host, Clay Phillips from the Rose City Church of Christ. Good evening. I am Brother Clay Lee Phillips, minister here at the Rose City Church of Christ, where I have been laboring for the last 38 years this Sunday. And we're so thankful that God has allowed us to be able to continue to preach his unadulterated truth. I want to thank, uh, first of all, uh, Brother Stevie B for allowing us to be able to come and proclaim God unadulterated truth. I want to thank uh, Brian uh, Christian Coleman for the marvelous job he's done, and also Glenn McMillan for the tremendously, absolutely good job that he did in explaining and teaching the Word of God. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I want to commence reading at verse 14 and terminate at verse 24. Mark, the chapter is 9. I want to commence reading at verse 14 and terminate at verse 24. And we find these words written. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes questioned with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluting him. And he asked the scribes, What questioned ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which have a dumb spirit. And whatsoever he taketh him, he tarried him, and he formeth and gasheth with his teeth, and painteth away. And I speak, or speak to thy disciples, that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered the him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, speaking of the dumb spirit, straightway the spirit carried him, and he fell on the ground. And wallowing for men. And he asked his father, Jesus, asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes he have cast him to the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And verse 24 says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, With tears, Lord, I believe. Help 
die mine unbelief. Thus is the reading of our scripture. And I want to take my text, if you will, from verse 19. O faithless generation. O faithless generation. A generation without faith is in a dangerous predicament. And here we find that Jesus recognized that they had no faith. Uh, when you don't have any faith, it puts you in a predicament who are especially suitable, listen, for false teachers. When you have broken away from God Almighty and his word that have been placed here to teach us and guide us, you are in a dangerous position. It is unreasonable. You are in an unreasonable, twisted-minded situation because we're living now in a time that I thought I would never win things that are happening today when people just straight up just lie and say they're telling the truth. I, I never thought that I would live and see the time when they call evil good and good evil. I, I never thought that I would live and see the time because I believe that we were all trying to receive God's word. Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you will, everybody turn the Bible now with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, I understood my grandfather was an elder, my dad was a deacon, um, but the more, my uncle was a preacher, and, and I was raised in the Lord's church, and I understood all this. And I read this, but I didn't realize uh, how our generation was going to become faithless. This generation. Now, Paul told Timothy almost 2,000 years ago, he told him, this know also that in the last days, dangerous times, the word perilous means dangerous times, shall come. Look at us. We're living in some dangerous times, people. Uh, not only he said that, he said, he said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontentious, fears, despisers, listen, listen, despisers of those that are good, traitors, headed, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, always hollering about God and Jesus and cursing and fighting and stealing at the same time, having a form of godliness, denying the power there are from such turn away and go on and talk about 
how it was going to end up. And so we're living in a society now that are faithless, that have turned their back on God, that we're living in a society. And I want to give you, I want to look at our text. Let me give you three homiletics. And Lord's will, we'll be able to get to those. If not, we just do the best we can. The first homiletic I want to look at is the um, steadfastness of the Father's love, the Father that came to the disciples and asked the disciples to heal his lunatic son. <laughs> uh, so I want to look at the steadfastness of the Father's love. Number two, I want to look at the compassion in the Father's words. And then number three, I want to look at the examples of the Father's tears, the examples of the Father's tears. Now, when we look at the text and look at it in its chronological order, we must understand Jesus is teaching, if you will, his uh, apostles that I want you to understand that we're living in a, look what he said, Jesus said, we're living in a, a faithless generation, a generation that have no faith. So what he's doing, he's teaching them a lesson about faith. Now, Jesus knew what was going on, knew what was happening. And, and he's teaching them about faith. Notice now, drop down to verse number 39 of Mark chapter 9, verse 29, brother. And you'll notice now Jesus teaching them about faith. He says, and he said unto them, uh, as the disciples came to him and said, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus said, let me, let me tell you something. Verse 29, and he said unto them, this kind came, cannot come except through prayer and fasting. So here we find Jesus is teaching his disciples about faith. And he's teaching them that there are some things only come through prayer and fasting. Now, uh, he wanted them to understand that uh, his, this society is messed up. Now, I want to know what is wrong. What is happening? What is happening? I want to know what is happening caused this faithlessness. I want to know what caused this. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Turn, um, turn over to chapter, uh, everybody turn about Matthew 13, and the verse is 24. Matthew 13 and verse number 24. Everybody now turn their Bible to Matthew 13 and the verse is number 24. You tell us here what happened. The Bible says in verse number 24 of Matthew 13, another parable put he forth unto them saying. Now, remember the word parable comes from the Greek word para, to mean to throw alongside off. So he's teaching them about uh, this generation and how things got bad. And so when you look here at Matthew 13, 24, he spoke a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sows good seed in his field. <laughs> Look at God. But while he slept, but, but while men slept, it isn't God. It says, verse 25 says, but while men slept, 
his enemy came and sold tares amongst the wheat and went his way. And then when the blaze came up, they started coming up, they recognized. They recognized we didn't plant the tares. Where they came from, Jesus said unto them, an enemy have done this. And we must understand, the reason, the problem with a faithless generation is that the enemy have done this. Why? Because we have fallen asleep. Men have fallen asleep on God's word. They, they are faithless. Why? Because they have fallen asleep. So Jesus said, listen, an enemy have done this. And the servant asked, we go up and just pull up the tab. And he said, no. What is going to happen is you're going to pull up the wheat along with the tab. Leave them alone. Let them grow together. So this is what is happening in America now. Uh, you can't differentiate between the wheat and the tab. We're in trouble. We are old faithless generation. And so it says, and Jesus going and tell a parable and said, uh, he said, but nay, let's why you gather up the tare, you root up also the wheat. Let both grow together unto the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reaper, gather together first the tare. And, and then I want you to bind them and bundle them and put them in the fire but gather the wheat into bond. So we must understand that in this faithless generation, we are in trouble if we don't wake up. We need to wake up. So here in the text, we can go back to Mark chapter 9 in the text. Let me give you a little historicity of what is going on here. Now, if you remember in Matthew, also talk about this account. In Matthew 16, uh, 18, it talks about this account, if you will. You remember Jesus said, who do men say, I, the son of man, am? In other words, he was questioning his disciples. Some said John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some didn't even know. And we're living in a society now that don't know who Jesus is. Good God Almighty. We're in trouble let the Bible speak, Brother Phillips. And so then Jesus took, he teaches a lesson. Now, remember this, all this is predicated and in God's providential schedule. And so Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain and transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and, and you know, Moses and Elijah was with him, and Peter started talking and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. He said, no, no. The voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved son, in whom I will please hear you him. Be quiet, Peter. Now, understand, listen to this. The whole, what Jesus is showing us is that the whole generation were faithless, even his apostles was faithless. Even though they were with him and saw him doing they were still faithless. How do you know? Because the Bible teaches us that those three was up there in the mountain and they still did not know who Jesus really is. Peter said, Lord, let's build three tabernacles. Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here you hear. Uh, six days, Peter just said, Thou the Christ, the son of the living God. Why? Because God put it in him. 
And only God can help us with our faith. Only prayer and fasting. Good God, I'm help us up here, Lord, today. Lord, let the Bible speak, Brother Phillips. So now understand this. It doesn't matter whether you're in the mountain or in the valley. Your faith must be exemplified. Peter, James, and John was in, if you will, they were in the mountain. <laughs> they were in the mountain, good God Almighty. But look at them. They didn't have enough faith to understand what was going on. So here we find Peter, James, and John in the mountain. Just because you're in the mountain don't mean you have faith. Just because you're in large doesn't mean you have faith. So in Jesus, now in our text, when you read Mark chapter uh, 9, verse 14, in our text, we find that Jesus came down from the mountain to the valley. So you could be in the mountain without faith. You could be in the valley without faith. How do you know? Now, when he came down from the mountain and the other nine, now remember that was 12 at this time. So the other nine that was in the valley, they was having neck issues. Jesus came up, and he recognized, and he said, now, what's going on here? He, he saw the scribe and the Pharisees questioned them, and he wanted to know what was going on. And then the Bible said, he, verse number 16, he says, and he asked the scribe, what question you with them? Why are you questioning them? And then a certain man that had a song that, son that was a lunatic said, let me tell you what's going on, Lord. My son has some issues. He's got some problems. And it seemed like the church not helping him. <laughs> that brother Philip. Let the Bible speak. It looked like the little disciples can't do anything. I asked them to cast them out, but they could not. So they got their issues in the body. They don't have enough faith in the body. Peter, James, and John didn't have enough faith on the mountain. Because James and John had told Peter, you be quiet. Listen, you just exalt. Accept the faith. It's time for you to pass, Peter, not to run your mouth. Then when you come down to the valley, here we find them in the valley, guys. Those nine having their issues. And so here we find, if you will, Jesus said, well, what are y'all doing with them? And then Jesus, now, he deals with the, uh, the disciples and he deals with uh, the uh, applicant. And we're going to call a certain man, the applicant. He is the one that is asking Jesus for help. He's the applicant. So Jesus addresses uh, the generation. He addresses those people. He addresses the mentality of the individuals that said, your disciples can't do certain things. Now, you must understand, people want the church to do everything for them. Sometimes we just can't do it. A lot of times, we all need our own help. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into all that today. Now, I want you to understand the applicant is asking and telling Jesus that he is complaining about his disciples could not do what you told them to do, that you asked them to do. Now, you remember he had asked them, the disciples, if you back up to, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Let me show you something here. Matthew chapter 10 and the verse is number 5, Matthew 10, 5. Look at what it says. In other words, the disciples should have been able to do this, okay? They should have been able to get cast out of demons. Now watch this. In verse number uh, 5 of Matthew 10, 
It says, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, go, talking about the 12, and the nine made 12. These 12 sent forth Jesus, commanded, saying, in other words, Jesus sent you, and he commanded you. You ought to be able to handle this. But the generation, there's a generation problem with this audience. And there's a generation problem with us today. So here we find, it says, Jesus said, now what, what did Jesus tell them to do? He told them to go, he said, go not to the way of the Gentiles and into the city of the Samaritans. If you not, why? Because it was not time for them to receive the gospel. It was not time for them to have the gospel. You remember in uh, Romans uh, 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So it wasn't time for them to have it. But notice the power that Jesus had gave his 12, that those three that was in the mountain with Jesus, unbelievers, those nine that was down in the valley, unbelievers, notice in verse 7, he says, and as he go preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But notice the power he gave them. Heal the sick. What? Heal the sick. It, 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 what? <laughs> Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. What? Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you receive, freely you give. So Jesus had gave them the power. He commanded them, sent them. In other words, he gave them what they needed. But even though we have what we need in the generation, because we have the word of God. We got what we need, but we don't know how to use what we got. Amen? We don't know how to use what we got. We, America is quoting Bible. Saying God this and God that and I pray, but we are old faithless generation. We are not handling things properly. Now let me, let me get a little further here because my time is moving pretty fast here. Now understand, a faithless generation is a unreasonable, twisted-minded generation. This is what we got now. Unreasonable and twisted-minded generation. That's what kind of generation that we have. Now, let's go back to the Father. Let's go back to the Father. Now, uh, I, I just love this. I love this. The steadfastness of the Father's love. The steadfastness of the Father's love. Now, the Father loved his son. His son. Yes, he did. He, he, he loved that boy. But let me, let, me, let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you about the love of the Father. Just because the Father demonstrated Love and the stress of his love and the urgency of the problem does not mean that it will help his uh, lack of faith. Let, let me say it again. Just because you love your family, I heard Jesus, not everyone has said unto me, Lord, Lord, to enter the kingdom of heaven. So just because you love your family does not necessarily mean that you have faith, even though you bring them to Christ. 
Does it mean you still have faith? Oh, faithless generation. It does not help your uh, deficiency in your faith. Amen? So understand this. Understand this. Let's, let's look now at verse 21. The, the Bible says in verse 21 of Mark chapter 9, it says, and he asked his father. Now, now understand this. Now Jesus is going to reveal Jesus is going to reveal that this man, faith, has some issues. Because he just said in verse number 19, oh, faithless generation. Why? Because they, they accused uh, the apostles that they couldn't do this. And, and oftentimes uh, people want us to do more than we can do. And sometimes we need to understand that something comes through fasting and prayer. Now, we read that earlier. So the whole lesson is about learning there's some things that you might have, you need to learn how to use it. Good God Almighty. Say amen, Brother Philip. Uh, let the Bible speak. Now look at verse 21. Uh, Mark 9 and verse 21. And he's talking about Christ. So, so after Christ told him, this old faithful generation, he turned to the man, the, the, the applicant, the complainer. The one that says they couldn't do anything. Let me ask you about your faith. Notice this. And you ask the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Now, now this is addressing the father. Now, let me, let me get, deal with this now. This is addressing the father. Hello? This is what we call in theology, a colloquia question. A colloquia. Now, what is the word colloquia? C-O-L-L-O-Q-U-Y. Colloquia. Now, what is a colloquia question? A colloquia question is a gathering, a question that gathers information for discussion. Listen to me. A colloquia question is a question that gathers information for discussion in theological conversation. <laughs> Let the Bible speak, Brother Philip. It is uh, to ask. So when Jesus asked the Father, he, he, the Bible says, the Bible speaks, Brother Philip, and he asked the Father, how long is it ago since this came unto him. In other words, Jesus is asking the Father, how long you been in this boy's life? <laughs> how long have you been in this boy's life? The problem with a lot of boys, a lot of kids, is that their father is not in their life. So Jesus said, uh, now let me explain why this generation is so Faithless is because they are fatherless. There are not enough fathers in these kids' life. So Jesus is asking him, he said, man, I complain that you arguing about my disciples can't hear him, but I want to know how long have you been in this life? I want to know how long have this boy had this in him? 
And now you want to argue, and see, folks want to argue about the church and the church this and wind in this. But how long have you been out there in the world doing anything you want to do? And so here, Jesus said, how long have this been? In other words, he had a, a call to question, a, to gather information that he may be able to have theological conversation. So now, fathers, those that listen to me, just didn't get a call of me. Fathers, let us have a theological conversation. <laughs> Can I, how long have this child been like that? Now let's go back to, to understand this. Let's go back to Proverbs. Oh, look at him. Turn your Bible down to Proverbs, if you will. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs, wisdom. Do the father have wisdom? And now we have the problem with us today is that most fathers don't have a clue. They can't have theological conversation with the man of God. Can you have to, Can I call you in my office and we talk about the qualification of an elder? Can we talk about the qualification of a deacon? Can we talk about the calling of a minister? Can we talk about uh, who's going to mow the Theological conversation. Can we talk about who's going to clean the building? Let's have some theological conversation. Let's talk about where you're born. When Sunday school starts, why are you late? Can I have some theological conversation with you all? The Bible says, let the Bible speak, Brother Phillips, in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. Now, Father, can I have conversation with you? Hello? I know the steadfastness of your love for your son, but you really love your son. Let me show it to you. It says in Proverbs 13, 24, He that spared his rod hated his son, but he that loveth his him chastised him betimes. In other words, as many times as he needed. I know our society is my perfect generation. Don't have any faith anymore in the word of God. They're saying now, don't discipline the child, don't spank the child, don't do this to the child, don't do this. There. And we are mess, a old faithless generation. <laughs> we, we don't have no uh, nothing that teaches how to raise a child. Yes, we do. The Bible, the creator of the man. In the beginning, God. Created the heaven and the earth. God made man in his own image. Who better to know how we should raise our boy? Fathers, listen, he said, Father Let's look at another scripture here. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. And we have a theological conversation. Can you have a theological conversation with me? Can you can we do a core count? A core quinter? Can we have to fill out the conversation? It says, Chasing thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Fill out the conversation. Do you know that's in the Bible? And I know our society is messed up. We got a generation that is messed up, old faithless generation. Jesus said, he said, Jesus come to the man and said, let me have a theological conversation with you. How long have this boy been like this? I want to know. How long have you let him walk in a grocery store and just take what he wants? 
How long have you uh, let me fall on the floor and whine and whine? How long have you done that? How long have you thrown them in the fire and let it fire? How long have you been cast in the water? How long? How long have you allowed your boy, your children to be without discipline? How long that many times you've been kicked out of school? How long when you pulled over by the police trying to outrun the police? How long? Good God Almighty. Somebody ought to say amen. How long? He said, chase him while there is hope. That's why you it's gonna get to the point where you cannot have theological conversation. That's why. Some of you are listening to me right now and saying, he's too much spam child, and I don't believe in that. That's because you do not believe in God. Let's look at another scripture. Um, can we have fill up the conversation? Paul Quinn, fill up the conversation. Uh, look at uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6. Do you know this? Dude, Jesus asked me that man. Did you know this? Can I have fill How long? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. <laughs> you see, brother, you see my, my son, throwing it by. If you go back and find out how long have you allowed this to happen to that boy. Look over uh, verse 15. Drop down to verse 15. Foolishness. I'm, I'm having a theological conversation with you. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the raw of correction shall drive it far from him. How long? Look at verse 13. Now, I'm not even close to finish the sermon. Verse 13, it says, Well, withhold, withhold theological conversation, Bible conversation, and, and most men, you need to spend more time with your boy. Now, I know sometimes you, you spend all the time with him. I understand that. And they will still get him. I understand that. I, I'm not saying that you're going to be held accountable for your boy's sin. But you ought to spend some time with him. Amen? 13 says, withhold not correction from a child. For if thou beateth him... That's what the book says. That's the theological conversation. If thou beateth him with the rod, he shall not die. But he's going to die when the police chase him. He's going to die when they put a knee on his neck. He's going to die when they put a chokehold on him. He's going to die when he put in the fire. He's going to die when he go to the water. He's going to die. He's going to live in the graveyard. In other words, he has no conscience of living beyond where he is. He died. This is what happened to our young people. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Because they were having hell. Listen to me. They were having pure hell. That's the point where they said, he said, if you can't, if you can't help us, if you can't help him rather, if you can't do nothing for my boy, help us. Now, if you can't do nothing for my boy, help us because we we are terrified as a nut. He's a lunatic. Mark, Mark, Matthew says he's a lunatic. We can't do nothing now. 
He says, and thou shalt deliver thy soul from here. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice even mine. Isn't that something? Let's say for a little further. I'm having theological conversation because we have forgot about these scriptures. Jesus said, how long have you been like this? And, and um, Proverbs 29, verse 15, the raw and reproof give it wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Then and when the wicked are multiplied. Now, this time out, when you look up the exegesis of multiplied, it's talking about a, a whole generation. Let me explain something to you that you might already know. Is that when uh, Elisha uh, went and purified the water in the city because the city needed purified. And the Bible says about 42 kids, about 42 kids started picking at Elijah, bald head, bald head. They was picking at his authority. They disrespected his authority. And the Bible said, let the Bible speak for us, Philip, that two she bears came out of the woods and killed them. This is how serious a generation that misses the word of God gets. Look at him. And it says here, I want you to understand, it says, verse 16, when the wicked are multiplied, it's talking about the generation, when the whole generation is faithless. Transgression increases. That's why, that's why America is marked up. That's why we have all these problems. When they took prayer out of school, and when they took discipline out of the home, and when they uh, just uh, denied us the right to raise our children, my God, this is what's wrong with America today, is that we are living in a society where we are faithless, and we have not had a conversation, a theological conversation with one another. This is what the Bible said. Let the Bible speak about this. And when the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous shall see their fall. Correct thy son, and he shall be rest. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. America have lost the vision that God has given us. Let's go back to our text now. So number one, we look at the father's steadfastness, love. The father loved his son, but he didn't love him enough to have prayer and fasting. <laughs> See, sometimes you got to pray and fast for your children. Amen? Number two, the compassion in the father's voice. He said, he said, Jesus, if you can't help him, help us. Because he is affecting all of us. He is, the, he, he, I have to go to the schoolhouse all the time. He, he won't let anybody else learn. I, he won't come home on time. 
He in Walmart's filling. He's driving too fast. He's affecting all of us. He said, please, listen to the compassion in the father's voice. If you can't help him, help us. And then the example, I'm going to wrap it up, the example of the father's tears. The example of the father's tears. The father just broke down and cried. Amen? And straight with the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thine mind unbelief. Jesus said, uh, how long? He said, I want to know. He said, you asking me, can I do anything? The question is not can I do anything. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? If you believe, I can do whatever. In other words, he he says in verse number 25, verse 23, brother, if thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If you just can believe, man, all things are possible. All things are possible. Oh, faithless generation, we're losing our children. Fathers, where are you? And I, I really want to deal with something, uh, but I don't have time. My time is, is for spent. I want to deal with been there, done that. Uh, yes, been there, done that. Uh, I want to deal with the, uh, a response that shaped us, but I'm not going to be able to deal with it tonight. But what I think I want you to do, I want you to start having theological conversations, co-occurring theological conversations with one another and see what the Bible says and stop listening to all this foolishness that's going on in the world. I'm your speaker, Brother Clay Phillips. If you want to be saved, you want to be a Christian, you want to be in the body of Christ, you must hear the gospel, the gospel of death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must believe, repent, confess, and be baptized that I make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And then you can come, and then you can start growing. And then we can have co-equipment. We can have theological conversation about what's going on in your life. The Bible said, Jesus said, how long has it been like this? One thing I like about the Father, he said, if I'm a child, (laughs) he might not, we don't know what happened. But he said, I've been in his life since he was a child. And that's, that's where fathers ought to be. You ought to be able to say, I was there when she birthed him. I was there when he was born. I was there every birthday. I was there. And may God bless you. I'm your speaker, Brother Clayton. It ain't easy. No. Sometimes it gets hard down here, Lord. Sometimes it gets rough, so rough, so rough. Sometimes it gets tough for me. Has anybody been lonely? All by yourself Has anybody been sad Broken hearted and sad Have you even been dead Oh You had to cry all night long 
You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.